pretty outside. Like this is a bottle, then yeah. it's like a pretty big detailed outdoor model. Yeah, and it's the first of its kind. So I tested this setup oh, with, really? a, with a friend last week, uh, and it worked really well uh, in Cotterdam. But I think this is a pretty good environment to talk in. Yeah, and like the yeah, it's such a good day. Like the last few days, it's been super rainy. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's it's good. There's yeah. cute little birds. <laughs> They're burden. I think um, we're in the very right position to talk about animal welfare and yeah, yeah, uh, long-termism. Is that the right way of saying it? Long-termism, uh, long-termism yeah. Perfect, it's yeah. one term, one <laughs> long term that people use. Yeah. yeah. So just for the benefit of the listeners yep. right now, who exactly is Nick Anios and who are you associated with in terms of uh, an organization? Yeah, so uh, I'm Nick Anios. Um, I'm a student at ANU studying uh, computer science. Uh, so... Uh, the organization I'm affiliated, like organization, in uh, is a bit putting it strongly, but um, yeah. So there's a, a student society, Effective Altruism ANU, which I uh, co-founded um, a few years ago, and I'm currently uh, the main organizer along with Jenna, who was on a previous episode. Um, and yeah, uh, so we are like uh, not like technically if, like there's like the wider. Um, like broader EA community, which we're like a part of, but we're not like officially, uh, you know, affiliated yeah. with in a, um, you know, like they like tell us what to do kind of way, but just yeah. like, you know, a general community. Um, and yeah, and we host events and uh, run like reading group type things um, and like fellowships and have like some social hikes and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and yeah, uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, no, I was just about to say, as a reminder, EA is effective altruism. Yeah, effective right? altruism. Yeah. Yeah, and um, it's awkward because EA is also used to mean the like gaming company, like Electronic <laughs> Arts, and so often on like Reddit, I'll see like a meme that's like EA is the worst ever, and I'm like, oh no, and then yeah, it's like the the company. Yeah, like, out of nowhere, it'll be like just to clarify, you yeah, mean yeah, Electronic Arts, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, but yeah, it was um, talking to Jenna about EA effective altruism. It was very, um, it was a very. Uh, important time in my life as well because I was learning about this new concept and I told Jenna as well it's something that exists but we don't think about it quite often but ever since then I've looked at various charities and organizations listened to the 80,000 hours podcast yeah podcast listeners listen like recommend it yeah yeah, shout out to 80,000 <laughs> yeah, yeah. 80, Hours podcast, yeah. And they're very nice. They're, they're, they've sort of broken down various important topics um, in a very understandable manner. And just out of all those topics that are being spoken about in the EA community, what are some of the most passionate ones um, for you? Ooh, um, yeah, so it's interesting you use the word passionate mm. um, because, yeah, like I can kind of break it down. So like, I definitely, the the cause area I feel the most like emotional pull towards is definitely the uh, animal uh, welfare um, stuff. Uh, like, yeah, when I, because so, yeah, like when you, you know, see the videos of animals being like mistreated yeah. and stuff, it's like a much more visceral feeling. And whereas like, uh, when I'm thinking about more abstract things, like um, the welfare of like future generations, it, yeah, it's like a lot harder to picture, you know, mm. um, like, I guess you could try reading science fiction, but that's like, you know, not the same. Um, but yeah, but uh, like, I think a central part of effective altruism is, um, yeah, like, I try to be passionate about like the general project of doing good rather than like any 
uh, particular uh, mm. form um, because, yeah, I think that, like, uh, you know, suffering is suffering, right? Mm. And, like, it do- like, someone dying from one disease or else being equal is as bad as them dying from another disease. And, yeah. like, you know, if I was dying from a disease and a person said to me like oh i would you know try to help you but i'm just i'm more passionate about like this other disease i'd be a bit like oh Mm. (laughs) you know um uh so yeah so like i yeah so so the animal stuff i'd say would be like the most like directly emotionally like Mm. uh you know visceral uh but Yeah. yeah like i try to uh you know um yeah have empathy for all beings and help them in the best way possible yeah and do you think your um, interest not passion but maybe interest towards um, animal welfare is also because it's so prevalent around us as in um i think i read this uh, somewhere that like i think a billion animals currently are in cages right now and they're being factory farmed and is it something because sort of you've sort of lived with this or grew up with this news or idea that animals are a part of a factory because we must consume them um is that why your sort of interest peaked as well um yeah so it's definitely the numbers like the raw numbers are just astounding yeah like um the numbers i'm familiar with i think at any one time there's like 50 billion animals so that includes chickens pigs and um uh cows and like turkeys and like other like land-based animals um and then and that's like any one time but then because chickens live like less than a year there's like a cycle of chickens so like the number like killed per year is like more than that and something like a trillion fish are like caught yeah i know right um uh so yeah so so the raw numbers are like astounding um i think also uh so like you know i have like a dog and i had a cat and i had a dog before that you know so like um i like very much i'm very much a animal person like you know i like interacting with animals and they're really cute and like yeah just like you know uh if i imagine my dog being treated like uh you know cows and pigs and chickens are treated i just like i'm like no that's not good um and also i think yeah like the fact that um so for some harms that people do so like let's say uh they like um you know by like say not donating to charity or something that's like a much much more indirect way that you're like harming like you know some ethical views would say yeah by like not donating to charity you're like uh indirectly harming people who you could have saved or something yeah but that's like several steps removed and stuff but like when people are like eating like Mm. animals it's like you know it's like right there on the table you know it's like much more like visceral um so i'm like a lot of animal activists are kind of crazy Mm. and like uh you know they they like see this like moral injustice and i think like react the way like most people would but like that can lead to like unhelpful things so like i definitely think like you know like organizations like peter and like Mm. more extremist orgs like doing more harm than good for the cause but i like on an emotional level i like sympathize with uh their like emotional reaction to like the injustice right Mm. um you know and it yeah it's like it takes a combination of like recognizing injustice and then having the like kind of rationality and uh 
patience to like respond to it in like the best way yeah you know or like in the way that like helps the most rather than just like reacting emotionally mm. yeah and that's one of the things i wanted to get into as well like a lot of activists they scare me and i'm going to be honest with you yeah. is in uh, i saw on news um, yeah in melbourne there was a lady who went to a kfc store and started spreading fake blood uh throwing fake blood at the customers or yeah. on the floor and it was just a very gory scene and that sort of scares me and i think you pointed out best like there is a logical point of view like what do you do about this yeah. and how do you spread a message and there is an emotional point of view as in you're doing it wrong this is how you should do it i'm angry and i'm going to show it to you just so you learn and i think ea and what you're doing and what jenna's doing leans more toward the logical point of view as in what's happened has happened like um i'm a non-vegetarian as well and i consume meat but it's um and talking to you guys i don't feel ashamed of that right uh is it is it something um like going vegan is it a big part of improving animal welfare um yeah so just responding to something else, yeah so that uh person uh who yeah like went to a kfc and through but that's a perfect example of something that like um i understand the like emotional thought process that like went into her making that decision uh but it's definitely not helpful um it's like counterproductive i think like that's going those actions are going to lead to more animals but you can imagine that like um if yeah i don't know that like if there was uh some uh you know injustice being done to humans right yeah. so like um uh yeah uh, like i won't pick an example to not yeah. be controversial but yeah you can you can also see that like activists trying to help humans also do counterproductive things like that right so yeah um but yeah uh so in terms of whether uh being vegetarian or vegan or cutting down meat consumption uh, is an important thing um i think so in the effective altruism community there'll there's definitely like a higher proportion of vegetarians mm. and vegans um than like most groups unless except like the animal you know vegetarian yeah. community um but i think uh while like personal consumption like is a uh, like kind of category of actions that you can try to like optimize for and doing good mm. um i think it's like only one and if you look at uh like previous like rights movements like so like um you know not making a blanket comparison at all but like with the abolition of slavery and stuff mm. like the like trying to get people to personally not by slate like things produced by slave labor was a very small part right and was like it, not the um uh primary thing that like caused the abolition of slavery right it was like mm. more about like political action and stuff so i actually think that like personal dietary choice is like overemphasized mm. in the animal movement like yeah. in the traditional uh movement and um i think especially because um uh so yeah so like what you eat uh so if you change your diet you can reduce um you know i think the numbers are something like uh one or two pigs one cow and like 10 or mm. 20 chickens a year is like the average um but yeah but like uh two other like categories of actions are like your donations yeah. and uh your like career so i think there are people who like donate to animal advocacy organizations mm. um and still eat meat but are doing like much more good than like mm. one vegan who then doesn't do anything about that um and same for someone who like works like yeah like if you're working at like an animal welfare place yeah it probably just it looks a bit bad if you're not like vegetarian or vegan or something mm. uh because like people could be like oh you're being hypocritical but like the good you're doing is like 95% the work and like 5% the yeah. personal dietary consumption mm. do you also focus on possibly um 
rather than eradicating factory production of animals um, in a very cruel manner, do you also focus on possibly the same production but in a more humanitarian way? Yeah, absolutely. And that's like been way more successful. So um, there's been a lot of like victories recently in things like uh, uh, cage, uh, cage-free uh, um uh, eggs have uh, gotten more popular. Um, uh, like I think in the EU, they've like yeah. So so there's like trying to get governments to uh, improve the welfare standards of animals, and then they're also trying to get uh, corporations to commit to like voluntarily mm. um, improving their ethical standards of their like suppliers. Uh, and yeah, those are like way more successful than um, again like vegetarian or vegan uh, yeah. campaigns like trying to. Uh, directly convince people to go vegetarian which i think the numbers of people who actually are vegetarian has like stayed depressingly constant over the last like 30 40 years um interestingly more people say that they're vegetarian uh like if you like ask them they identify as that but then when you ask them oh have you eaten meat in the past week the number like it's like a third yeah no it's it's yeah it's ridiculous it's yeah um so yeah, like that could be an optimistic sign in the yeah. sense that like people are seeing that like all else being equal, it would be better to be vegetarian. Like, yeah. you know, it's like um, just like it's better to, you know, like produce uh, pollute less carbon and stuff. Mm. Um, but yeah, like, people aren't super following through. Yeah, um, but I was reading the numbers. It's incredible, right? Just in the UK, I think 5% of the population right now is vegan. And in Australia, it's not so much, but 2% is tr- still a high number, I think. So that 5% number is probably... I think, yeah, an example of where it's like 5% say that they're vegan, but uh-huh. then if you ask them whether they've eaten meat in the last yeah. like month, it's like two-thirds say yes or mm. something. So like that, that is still good, and they probably like eat less meat. Yeah. Than, um, also, a lot of people like, you know, if you're a dietary vegan, mm-hmm. then like having a cheat day once a fortnight is yeah. like you're probably enough to still like be a dietary, you know, right? Like mm. if you're like, if you eat paleo, but then, like, once a month, you don't eat paleo. Like, it yeah. still makes sense to, on a survey, say, oh, mm. I eat paleo. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's dive into the um, the psychological impact of um, factory production um, or animal welfare for animals. So I was listening to the podcast that you sent me uh, of the 80,000 hours, uh, and yeah. there was a very interesting point as in how do we measure what animals suffer through? And um, the interviewee, Sorry, I don't remember his name. I think Robert Will or something. Uh, Rob Wibblin? Yeah. Yeah. The interviewer, yeah. And he was saying uh, there is no quantitative quantitative measure to measure how, how much suffering is going on with the animals, but I think it's the rate of extinction or how long they live in a certain environment we've created for them. And that was very interesting to me. What are your thoughts on that, the psychological impact on animals, and how do we measure that? Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's definitely hard. Um, like, you can... So, one cool way is you can do a thing called preference studies, uh-huh. uh, which they may mention in the podcast. Where, but um, so like if you're trying to figure out uh, whether like how much chickens don't like being in a cage compared to like other things, you can do these cool experiments where you, they like trade off food mm-hmm. for or, or like some kind of task. So it's like they have to like you know go through this long maze to get to a like perch that they can uh, mm-hmm. like perch on, and then like the the like the harder you make the task you know it's kind of like a human right it's mm-hmm. like you know if um uh you make someone 
need to like climb a big obstacle course in order to watch a TV show uh, or like to eat something or something. You could kind of like measure their relative preferences for different things. That's a cool way of doing it. Um, You can also like measure like stress responses and uh, stuff. Um, Mm. But yeah, there's definitely not an exact science and like, uh, like one really hard thing is like knowing whether the animal has like a net positive or net negative life. So I like, I think it's like possible that like grass fed uh, cows mm-hmm. um, have like net positive lives, right? Mm. I'm like almost certain that like caged uh, chickens yeah. that uh, yeah, so that like you know in cages their entire life, um, they're like you know their beaks are uh, ripped off and stuff mm. are like surely net negative um but knowing like yeah where that line is is like yeah definitely really Mm. hard i apologize but what's net positive and net net negative yeah sure so uh certain ethical positions Mm. um uh most famously like utilitarianism or like consequentialism Mm. uh would model um things like the welfare of an animal or a human um as like a uh like number or like so so like a positive uh welfare would mean that it's like better like like the taken everything into consideration for the animal yeah. it'd be like better that they exist um and negative would be it'd be better if they like didn't come into existence oh. so so like you can imagine um so uh yeah so some people think that um uh certain disabilities mm. would make a human like life not worth living um i i very much think that they're not appreciating mm. uh the lives of people with disabilities but i think there are like some you know uh yeah. uh uh illnesses or disabilities that would be like so severe that like it would be better if the person didn't come so you know you can imagine like if a child had yeah like an extremely painful thing and say was only gonna like only live like one year anyway or yeah. something maybe it would be better if that child like didn't come into existence or like um uh yeah and, and like you know again like if you imagine like the worst lives that uh, humans have had, yeah. um, you know, would it have been better before, like, someone was, like, tortured or something mm. for them to be, like, painlessly killed? Prob- yeah. You know, there's definitely some uh, experiences I would much rather, you know, die than mm. go through. Um, uh, yeah, so, 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 yeah, so, like, uh, from a pure consequentialist point of view, uh-huh. if, you, if um, the reason why... Uh, like being vegetarian or vegan uh, is good is because it reduces so so like the animals who currently exist they're gonna die anyway right yeah. like like um yeah and because of the cycle like me being vegetarian or vegan won't save any existing animals but it will lower the economic incentive for like new animals yeah. to come into creation so uh if so so the reason why you do that from a consequentialist point of view is you think that the animals existing is like net negative mm. um so yeah, so so like a, consequ- a pure consequentialist could say that maybe, like I said, like uh, grass-fed beef is uh-huh. like uh, because their lives are, you know, it's bad that they are shortened and killed, yeah. but it's like better that their lives are like better hmm. in total, and they wouldn't exist otherwise. Um, hmm. So, uh, like not uh, not counting like carbon emissions and stuff, which is um, another thing. But uh, yeah, but uh, so so yeah, so some. Uh, pure consequentialist would say that i'm kind of more of like uh you know pluralisty moral person so i think like consequentialism is really important but like also like yeah it just like seems really not good to like you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. bring a being into existence and then kill it discard it yeah yeah discard it you know mm-hmm. even if it kind of again like you know imagine you know if it was like humans like you know if we had mm-hmm. 
uh, society where we like ate humans and but like you know we raised them humanely for like 12 years and they had like a you know good happy 12 years and then killed them that just seemed like really icky right that's sadist yeah 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 exactly um uh so yeah so so like i still so that's like why i wouldn't still eat like uh grass-fed beef even if their lives are net positive but that's like definitely like much better right like you know if i had like a disease where like i had to eat meat to survive i would definitely pick like you know the most ethical version um or something like kangaroo where it's like they exist in the wild and are going to be um uh killed anyway by Mm. um population control people Mm. it's fascinating right it's like animals have a social class as well that we've created dogs we we think about dogs cute animals adorable and we can't even imagine them being tortured or being sent to a factory to be produced into meat it's just it's an idea way beyond uh, like someone would even accept but when you think about which is super cultural by the way because yeah like in mm-hmm. a lot of asian societies uh dogs are yeah even exactly. just like pigs and cows yeah yeah and is that something that you've sort of um like the ea philosophy tries and minimize as well even to the cultural level um well yeah so like uh you definitely have to like from a practical point of view like yeah. be uh you know conscious of like other cultures so like um you know ea is like very western uh like very white yeah um uh you know and yeah i think like when you uh so like and the like animal organizations that i know about when they uh do try to do things because because on the other hand like india and china both have like enormous populations that and they're both like economically developing which means they will eat more meat and stuff mm. um so they try to like partner with like local animal activist groups like in yeah. the country rather than like and like giving them assistance rather than like going into the country and being like right. oh no your traditional practice is like mm. bad and stuff um and there are like examples where like western people just being insanely hypocritical so like yeah. um you know like uh japan like being against like whaling in japan mm-hmm. and stuff what's whaling oh wait uh, so like killing whales oh okay yeah, yeah um so like whales like are like you know r- you know like relatively intelligent and yeah. like you know have giant brains and stuff but yeah like you know to be like against whaling but okay with like yeah, yeah killing pigs and stuff um and yeah and like pigs are a great example that like on all like cognitive tests and stuff you can compare, compare like a pig to a dog mm. yeah the pig is like if anything smarter than the dog so like mm. you know like maybe you could argue that like fish and maybe chickens are like a bit less smart and maybe that yeah. matters but like yeah like um oh, and you could also argue that maybe all like like chimpanzees and dolphins are maybe like higher than pigs so maybe like give special rights to them mm. but like yeah there's no biological reason why a dog and a pig like mm. should be treated differently yeah and i was just thinking about uh how you mentioned it. it's it's very cultural as well and i agree um even in various parts of nepal where i am from a lot of uh, people engaged in uh engaged in farming or um domestication of animals so they let's say for example um eggs production right so we have a lot of chicken in the backyard yep. uh, there's a lot of eggs produced and the farmers they sell the eggs and that's how they make their living and in certain societies it's very hard to sort of penetrate uh, a new ideology uh, or a new way of doing things uh, but i think yeah you're right in western world it's there's a lot of options here like you can go from you know just many uh, communicating information to a certain part um of a society or a certain group and hopefully and hope that it makes an impact um is there any charity in australia that sort of works on just that 
uh, animal welfare. Um, yeah. So the uh, uh, just to answer to, just to comment on something yeah. you said earlier was um yeah like backyard chickens yeah. another example of like probably have net mm. positive lives. Um. So yeah, like uh, you, uh, to the extent that we should be cautious about uh you know animal welfare campaigns in like non-western countries mm. um uh, we being like western activists uh like when it's like non-industrialized mm. and just like you know on like the you know local farm level mm. that's like even less of an issue right like it's, yeah. it's more like uh countries like china that like are uh, industrializing and like um you know making like factory farming and stuff uh but yeah so to answer your question um so the best animal charity i know in australia is called animals australia mm -hmm. um and yeah and so they um advocate for yeah like uh so like individual like people going vegetarian and vegan uh uh better welfare uh like laws and standards for animals and for corporations to like voluntarily uh adopt like better standards like above and beyond the like legal minimum yeah um and yeah they're like um yeah they're really cool yeah have you have you thought about working with them um yeah so i when I was uh, like a few years ago, uh, kind of, yeah, when I f kind of first got into EA, uh, animals, like I said, were like my main kind of uh, passion. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I'm a, these days, I'm a bit more into um, the kind of area of, uh, so it's called like institutional decision making or like improving institutional decision making. So the idea is like trying to, uh, as a like civilization trying to like yeah. get the kind of mechanisms we have um to like be better and lead to better outcomes so like one category would be like voting reform and stuff mm. so like in australia you have like a rank choice voting uh and there's like a bunch of different uh voting options um uh there's some interesting stuff about like forecasting mm -hmm. and like uh you know improving models of how we can predict future things which uh -huh. like when it comes to like you know preparing for pandemics and stuff could be really useful yeah. uh so that's the area that i'm i think probably most likely to like work in mm -hmm. um but yeah but like i could totally see me uh you know doing like i i think i'm like okay at kind of like general management-y type stuff so yeah i could yeah. totally see me like working in a Animal Australia's office and yeah. being like, "Hey, do you should, duh. yeah, yeah." And I think you're doing a really good job, you along with your team. And I think this kind of philosophy is really important because if you really think about it, the way I see it is, you don't need to do this. And the reason why I'm saying that is, you've got a perfectly normal life, and you can go about your day, just do your thing, get a job, save up, buy a house go to bed and ultimately after 80 years just you know um die like all of us but the fact that you go out there every day thinking about this thinking about the animals and just trying to make sure that every single thing we do we, we're thinking about animal welfare um it's just incredible so why do you do it yeah so um when you ask someone like why they do something they can you can give like a like historical like psychological kind of thing of like you know oh i saw this and then that um so the answer to that i think is like so i think one thing that separates a lot of eas from is uh like acting on philosophical beliefs mm. right so um yeah like when you ask people about like you know global poverty and like you mm. know whether um you know people in the top like global one percent should like donate some amount of their income um spoiler almost everyone mm -hmm. like you know half of australia is in the top one like you know if you're like a university graduate in australia you're probably in the global top one yeah. percent um uh 
then yeah, they're like intellectually, they're like, yeah, totally. Um, but like very few like put that into practice. So I mm. think that's one trait I've noticed in a lot of EAs that yeah, they like they respond to like a pure intellectual argument with like, mm. yeah, sure, okay, let's and like, you know, actually do stuff. Um mm. so yeah, so that's probably one reason. Um uh in terms of uh, and then there's also, you know, like historical things of like, you know, I like, like if there wasn't a community, I'd mm. probably be like, like much less, um, uh, you know, motivated. Yeah. Uh, like I think, um, yeah. And like, you know, the founders of EA tell the story about how, uh, so Will McCaskill and Toby Ord, um, both like independently were like really into these ideas, like doing good and mm. donating to poverty. But then it wasn't until they met each other and like talked and there was like, wow, there's another person who like, yeah. you know, feels this way. Um, but yeah, just also just, uh, commenting on what you were saying about, um, uh, you know, like, yeah, you don't have to do this and stuff. Mm. So, yeah, so that's definitely true. But I think, like, if you imagine, like, an effective altruist as, like, you know, someone who's, like, you know, massively self-sacrificing and, you know, like, every second they're, like, only thinking of others and stuff. Mm. So, like, yeah, so I think effective altruism has yeah. been insanely positive in the sense of, like, um, like, you know, meaning of life kind of mm. things i think um so like you know i've had uh severe depression at like many points in life and they give you this um uh questionnaire so mm. I've, I've taken it like four or five times over the years mm. um and uh one of the questions and, and you know, i've had like very you know uh scary scores on it but one question is something like you know do you think life has meaning mm. and on that one i'm always like yeah like i'm like i mm. off the charts in uh that one in terms of um thinking it does and that like yeah and like yeah i think you know like after you have all your like material needs mm. met of like food and shelter and clothing and stuff um i think like the next like you know yeah i know so many people who like yeah have all their material needs met and are just kind of like going through the motions and like mm. not really motivated they're like oh okay like i guess i'll go to uni oh i guess this subject is kind of cool like oh you know okay mm. i guess i get a job here and not that there's anything wrong with that but yeah but like yes yeah, so i i think like from a mm. you know meaning point of view my like ea or and just like wanting to make the world better in general is like yeah. super um good and yeah i think like yeah if i wasn't trying to do that yeah i would Mm. yeah it would be like a um yeah like things like meaning would be a lot harder and stuff i think it, it's who you are what you do right now i think yeah yeah um well yeah definitely that's definitely true like i've you know uh got into this when i was like 19 or something i'm mm. now like 27 so it's yeah definitely a um yeah decent portion of my life mm. do you think having meaningful lives and having meaning in your life is the same thing Ooh. Um, having meaningful life, having meaning in your life. What I mean by that yeah. is, just to <laughs> uh, not confuse you, um, do you think all of us, sh um, is there a meaning for all of us or is there a very personal meaning for all of us? Or an even better way to phrase that question, I think, is do you think each one of us has a meaning to our being? Um. Okay, so yeah, so I think uh, when I when in the previous answer when I was using the term meaning, mm. I was um, kind of thinking of more of like a self-rated, just like mm. sense of meaning of just like you know if you ask someone like you know is your life meaningful? Are you doing yeah. things that you think matter? Blah blah blah. Like you know th the thing that would make people answer high on those questions. Mm. Um, in terms of like uh, a meaning, so yeah, in terms of like a meaning to life. Um, so I do think that 
like morality is objective and that mm. so like uh, to the extent that there's like a meaning of life, it's like something like, you know, try to be happy and make other people happy and mm. go do cool, exciting things and stuff. Um, uh, and yeah, and I think like, you know, a big part of that is like autonomy. And mm. so being able to like choose your own like subset of meaning. So like, yeah, if like the way of you like living your most fulfilled life is like, yeah. you know, learning to juggle and becoming like, or like the world's best chess player or something like, mm. you know, that's super awesome. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, does that answer your question? No, it does. Yeah. No, absolutely. Because I was talking to, um, like, the the very last episode, I was talking to Michael S. Siva. He is this executive coach in the U.S. And um, at one point in time, he contemplated suicide as well. But he went through that, like, went into a business school, met um, his mentor, and um, is now helping others focus on unlocking their potential and living a more authentic life. Yeah. And we talk about uh, what a meaningful life is as well. And we uh, mostly talk about uh, work and how finding what you do and loving it or, or enjoying it and taking the people around you with you is is the definition of what a meaningful life is. Um, but yeah, I agree to what you said as well. It's I think meaning is very subjective. Like it's uh, it depends on who you are and what's important to you. Yeah. And yeah, that's that's very fascinating. And you said your uh, your interest is in forecasting as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, uh, yeah, as like a subset of like improving institutional decision making. Mm-hmm. So there's some really cool work by a guy called Philip Tetlock. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, who, yeah, um, wrote a book called Super Forecasting, and he's done a lot of research on, uh, yeah, like how good like experts are at like predicting like future like geopolitical events. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he like you know asked a bunch of university professors and like TV pundits and stuff to like predict like geopolitical. Mm. I think this is like in the 80s. So it was like you know will the USSR collapse and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, and there was a you know bunch of interesting findings. It turns out that um, experts like aren't that good relative to kind of like naive uh extrapolation algorithms so like uh things like you know like you just like drawing a straight line of like you know like um like or or like predicting no change so Mm -hmm. like if something has lasted 20 years just predicting it'll last another year or so you know like uh those kind of things are like much more accurate um another finding was he had this uh, personality dichotomy of hedgehogs and foxes. Mm-hmm. So hedgehogs uh, have like one big idea that they like know really well and use that to like analyze uh, everything. Uh-huh. Whereas foxes are more um, kind of they like have a bunch of little like they like aware of all the big ideas, but kind of like yeah. jump between them and kind of like take the best parts from each or like say like oh well you know a Marxist would say this, but a structuralist would say this and kind yeah. of like that kind of thing and. And uh, foxes do better. Mm. Um, uh, so, yeah, so uh, that's a takeaway. Um, and, yeah, and I think, like, there are um, some efforts to try to, like, institutionalize these, like, mm. uh, forecasting mechanisms more. Um, so, like, uh, a lot of Philip Tetlock's research is funded by IARPA, which is, like, the uh, research branch of mm. the American, like, uh, intelligence community mm. um, and yeah and so like you know it would be I think there's like some cool mechanisms uh, like that that could be used by like governments to like increase yeah. uh, geopolitical forecasting things like pandemics um, then also you need like things to like put that into place right mm. so like you know uh, there was like a lot of stuff 
we could have done before, like years before COVID, to improve it. There's a lot of stuff now that we could be doing to stop like the next COVID in ten years. Yeah. And it's like, but you know, political institutions have like biases towards like short termism because they're mm. like, uh, like uh, you know, election cycles and stuff. So like trying to think about uh, political institutions that preserve like the good things about like you know democratic accountability of elections but can also yeah. be like more like long-term focused um that's an interesting area mm. uh yeah and like those kind of things uh, yeah think, yeah really cool you know just going back to um how we can predict the pandemic of the yeah. future uh, is this in a way related to long-termism as well yeah definitely so um yeah so uh one of uh so uh, yeah so uh, pandemic preparedness uh, is a big area in effective altruism. Um, uh, in one of my, uh, so I, I do this like intro yeah. talk to EA at the uni group. Um, and yeah, on one of my slides, I had, yeah, like, you know, global pandemic as like you know a like call, like you know like preventing global pandemics as like a cause area and mm. then like the next year like that was oh, in like wow. 2019 and i was like oh you um, predicted this yeah 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 <laughs> um uh yeah so um and also like going back at listening to some of the adk uh podcast episodes about them yeah talking about like future global pandemics and being like oh yeah. um yeah so uh yeah, but uh, so it was your question about the oh yeah, so with long termism yeah, yeah. so um, I think justification for yeah, so there's a area of things EA is interested in um, called like existential risks uh-huh. or like global catastrophic risks. Um, existential risk is kind of like something that would uh, either kill all humans or like drastically reduce um, our like future potential. So something that like left us alive but made us like you know never able to like uh, colonize the stars or something would like probably count or like some kind of like uh eternal like dictatorship where mm. we were like yeah um so it doesn't actually literally be a distinction and then like global catastrophic risks are more just like things uh less so you know things that kill like a billion people or something called like yeah like severe but like not like um you know pan generational uh and yeah and so like one reason why uh you could be concerned about those things is um a kind of like you know risk at it so, so like there's reasons why systematically society and people would be like under appreciate the like risks of very uh like unlikely or like unprecedented scenarios so yeah something like um you know a nuclear war yeah can only really happen once or like you know a full-scale nuclear war so like uh yeah, and every year it hasn't happened yet. So, yeah. like, oh, uh, yeah. No. Um, whereas, like, yeah, something like that's a continual problem that happens like once a year. Like, mm. society is much better at making institutions to deal with. Mm. Um, but another reason is um, so uh, something that uh, would like an existential risk could uh, because it would decrease or uh, you know eliminate the uh, numbers of like future people mm-hmm. or beings that could come into existence um, if you value future generations so like if you think that like um, yeah that like so, so like you know one example is like uh, imagine if everyone on earth just like voluntarily decided not to reproduce and uh-huh. was just like you know oh yeah no we're pretty chill and you know we yeah. had some robots to take care of us in old age and stuff like you know like would that be like bad like wouldn't wouldn't it be kind of better if like future people like came into existence colonized the stars and you know had like super cool lives um yeah. and yeah so uh 
and then if you're like yes uh future beings like do matter you know maybe not like equally but like definitely to some extent um because of like if you try to like think okay if we don't go extinct how many future people could there be then you just you you end up with like ridiculously high numbers so what's the number um yeah so so it depends on like again like like you know, in the most conservative of like, let's say we only stay on Earth, only ever have like 10 billion people and we wait mm. to like the sun, you know, so that's like five, that's like half a billion years away. And so we have like yeah. 10 billion people times like 100. Yeah, like you're into like numbers, like, you know, 10 to the 20, like, you know, wow. like, um, so yeah, so, so like, uh, again, conditional on us not going extinct, mm. uh, you know, the vast, vast majority of people who will ever live, live in the future, right? Mm. So, um, yeah, so the idea behind long-termism is that uh, because of, yeah, the giant scale of uh, the future um, and, like, actions we take now uh, can have some effect on the future and that, like, the, yeah, and that, like, we should, like, consider that and that, like, when thinking about doing good, uh, yeah, maybe, like, uh, trying to aim actions increase increase the welfare of like future mm. uh, generations is like um, yeah like the best way of doing that. Um, fortunately, most of the ways of like improving the long term like uh, go through improving the like yeah. short or medium term. Right, like you know, there's no option where like we collapse into like uh, you know global disaster movie for a hundred years, but then you know the world's mm. like super good from now on. So, um, but yeah, like. Uh, yeah, like the, yeah. So if you're trying to think about like doing the most good, um, comparing like trying to, yeah, doing things like preventing a nuclear war Mm. compared to, uh, you know, because there's always trade-offs and if you only have a limited resource budget. So comparing like, yeah, preventing a nuclear war to like, uh, ending malaria or something. Um, although like, of course, ending malaria would also have long-term effects and Mm. also, uh, like I think, like obviously, the biggest argument against long-termism, I think, is just that like our uh, our uncertainty about like the future is just like so massive, and that like we can be like sure about or like relatively sure about actions now. But like mm. you know, if I was like, okay, do something to make two hundred years like world better, like yeah. I I don't know how to do that. Yeah. Um, one uh, big counterexample though is again like preventing existential risk. So because by definition, an existential risk. Like, like, you know, like all humans dying yeah. would clearly affect like the very, you mm. know, future, right? Um, so, yeah, so, so like preventing like existential risks in the next like century mm. um, does seem something that's like robustly good, assuming that like the future is like net positive and that like it's not like a, yeah. you know, totalitarian hellscape. Um, yeah. Mm. You know how in the Western world today, uh, people are reproducing less than yeah. they used to, right? So that's a big part of long-termism and the risk associated with that. Yeah. Um, is there anything that's being done today in order to ensure that the human population increases in a steady rate around the world? Yeah, interesting. So um, so I don't think that declining birth populations are a cause area that EAs are interested in mm. or like that I know of. Um, so I, I'd say the reason for that is um, like, so one thing is that like uh, in the future, there'll be, uh, you know, and like, you know, in like hundred years, like again, assuming we don't all die, there'll yeah. be like technologies that will like probably uh, kind of like solve those problems. So a lot of the, uh, you know, 
um, things. Are, so, so like you know, the reason why birth rates are declining is because like you hit a like uh, biological limit of like how many babies you can have, yeah. and then there's also like other material questions of like you know um you want to like use your resources for other stuff but as like you know if you can like grow babies in a vat or something or like mm. that kind of thing or like again we like uh expand to other planets i think the um the things that are lowering birth rates uh will like kind of naturally reverse but even if they don't like mm. um uh even if yeah like even if we shrink from like 10 billion to like 1 billion yeah. if that like population lasts like a long time there's that's still like you know a like uh mm. extremely high like number like overall um and you know like some like environmentalists will say that yeah that like you know even with future technology the planet's carrying capacity is mm. like less than it currently is and so we'll need to go down i don't think that's true but like even if it was like yeah it's still like if we're 1 billion people but we last you know, a hundred million years, that's still like a trillion, trillion or whatever. Yeah. Um, as long as we were reproducing. Yeah, yeah. So, so <laughs> yeah. So you could get to the point where like, um, yeah. So, so if the birth rate is like, uh, like one, so mm-hmm. it's like the population halves every year, then yeah, you could get to the point where there's like, uh, you know, a hundred people left and they're yeah. all like, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't think that's likely. Mm. Um, or, and, and like at least, one good thing is that it's a um, it's a risk that is uh, slow and foreseeable. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, like it, it would be like a very slow decline, unlike something like a nuclear war, which would kill everyone. Yeah. Like um, another example of that is like uh, you know something you can be worried about is like genetic engineering yep. um, and like especially from like a geopolitical lens, like if you imagine like one country, you know, broke the taboos around like Mm. genetically engineering people uh, and like tried to like, yeah, create like a super race of, you know, geniuses and then like, um, you know, their economic GDP like blew up and stuff. So that actually is something I'm worried about in the next hundred years. But one good thing about that is because it takes time to grow people that's like a very like long like you know you have at least like a 20 year you Mm. know build up right um whereas yeah like things like a global pandemic can infect everyone in six months a nuclear war over in a day kills 90 percent of people um uh yeah so those kind of like things where you have to like you can't wait till they've already started like you have to do them beforehand um uh yeah i think i like that's yeah a reason to work mm. on them now. On a higher level, how do you think, uh, like to be very specific, if there was to be another global pandemic, how do we prevent that? Like, what what, what can we do today on a personal level? Yeah, so that's a good question. Sorry, um, just to clarify, personal and on a higher government level. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so definitely on a like personal level, the best you can do is like uh, donate or work towards like organisations and then lobbying governments. Like, it's mm. not. Uh, uh, like I guess you know you could like hoard hand hand sanitizer now, but like yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so there are a bunch of cool people working on this. So I recommend like looking into uh, this because mm. um, I'm not an expert. Uh, one thing that I'm uh, pretty excited about, um, especially because like when you're trying to prepare for a global pandemic, you more and more want to prepare for like the worst case scenario, right? Yeah. So like COVID could have been like way worse, right? Like, you know, if you imagine like um like something with the like infectiousness of like the Delta variant, uh, but like with like a fifty percent lethality rather than like a one yeah. percent or something, then yeah, like you know, like um uh so yeah, so so I think you yeah, so you wanna uh 
the the worse the possible scenario is, the more you want to like prepare for that. Yeah. Um, I think one of the cooler things I'm excited about is apparently I don't understand science at all. I'm a computer <laughs> scientist, not a biologist, but there are ways that you can. Uh, and so, and another factor is like the incubation time uh-huh. of the virus. So yeah, so like if you imagine a virus that was like very lethal. Uh, very infectious, but the incubation time before you show symptoms is like very long, like three or six months or something. Um, then yeah, again, that's like uh, you know ninety five percent of people die scenario. Yeah. Um, so one cool thing that I've heard people talk about is you can have these um, globally around the world, at like big hospitals, these kind of uh, systems where you like if someone has uh, is like sick, you just like process their DNA you kind of like test it in the same way you test for COVID now, but in a way that can uh, like, so you'd have like one level, which like every time someone gets sick, you test them for like the 200 most common pathogens. Uh Uh, Then if it doesn't, if uh, none of those, then you test them, you do a more uh, uh, thorough test for like um, things that like we don't know about. Again, like this is like the kind of thing where um, if this had been set up earlier, like we would have probably like detected COVID earlier. Um, And yeah, and so... My understanding is that, yeah, it wouldn't take too much resources, again, like relative to like, you know, governments, like it would take like a billion dollars, but not like a trillion to, yeah, set up systems like this where like we would catch the virus like fairly early. We may not like know exactly like how bad it is or like Mm. what it does, but we'd still be able to be like, huh, there's this like weird pathogen. And like, you know, uh, again, like um, uh, if the yeah differences like months or something between mm. like covid like you know yeah if like i think like people in wuhan started getting like infected in like november or something um 2020 yeah uh, no uh, 2019 yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so so like yeah. um of course then you have the problem of like governments mm. like need to actually like react to it right so yeah. like you know uh like even if yeah so so like governments were still like months later mm. than they should have been yeah. um but yeah so that's some cool stuff um there's also uh so, uh, you know, disclaimer, COVID was, like, not made in a lab. But, um, I, I, like, the wor- again, like, the worst possible uh, global pandemic threats are, m- like, the kinds that, like, could be, like, created yeah. in a lab um, because those uh, you get, like, the trifecta of, like, infectiousness, um, uh, incubation, and lethality. Mm. There's, like, b- evolutionary biological reasons to expect that, like, those wouldn't happen, like, naturally mm. um, because there's, like, equilibria where a virus needs to, like, infect people, but then if it killed the host for too long, then it, like, uh, you know, can't infect more people and stuff. Um, but, yeah, but, like, uh, there's the... It turns out that, like, the kind of equipment you need and the technical know-how you need mm. to kind of... Uh, biologically engineer a yeah. uh, virus is like not that much like like mm. you know um again no expert but like the uh, people who are experts uh, it's pretty scary um that you know there's like you can uh there's like scientists who um have done like gain of function research yeah uh which yeah have like um you know increased either like the lethality of something or like found a way of like uh getting a disease that occurs in a non-human animal and like passing it onto a human um and things like that uh and like you know you can um there's like dna synthesis companies where like you order a strand of uh uh, dna um Mm -hmm. and then they like mail it back to you and they like 
uh, there was a thing in the UK where they tested this out and they like mailed like uh, like smallpox or something. They were like, hey, can, oh. here's the like genes for smallpox. Can you like make that? And, wow. and like there wasn't like, yeah. And so, so like, you know, there's a bunch of like very common sense things about like, you know, maybe there should be some kind of system where if someone asks for smallpox, there's some kind of scan that, you know, like yeah. that kind of thing. Um, there's like been a bunch of examples of um, pathogens escaping from uh, labs. Again, not commenting at all on COVID, but like in the UK, the like, um, there's, yeah, there's like the highest uh, level of safety labs, which is like BL biological lab, yeah. BS, BLS5, no, sorry, four. Um, yeah, there's been like pathogens that have escaped from that. Um, mm. And then, yeah, there's like weird things about like your there's like not mandatory reporting or something or I don't know. Yeah, there's like a bunch of kind of policies that um are just like super common sense that yeah. seem like they could be put in place, but they um, weren't. Yeah, yeah that, that weren't. And yeah. like uh, yeah, and um uh yeah, and that's like like so I think the biggest concern from this point on with COVID is that the policies we'll put in place will be things that would have been really good for COVID, but not mm. really good for like general stuff, mm. which is kind of part of the reason why COVID was bad is that like a lot of our uh, global like pandemic plans were mm. like, uh, you know, you're always like fighting like the last disease and yeah. stuff. So mm. um, they weren't like general enough or weren't like, you know, you can just like plug in like five different factors of the disease and it would like output a... Uh, um, like a mm. good strategy and uh, the variants made a big difference as well like there's always new mm. variants coming in like the delta variant apparently was one of the strongest ones that came from india i'm not sure what the exact source is but um and that's made it really hard and that's why there was a lot of debate regarding the vaccines as well like is it going to be effective with future variants because even if you get the vaccine you may still be infected by the coronavirus and just to add on to your point um i think this has been Ooh, uh, this has been a major learning point in human history. It's something unprecedented, and um, it, as um, you know, at least the impact was unprecedented, and it's just disrupted how we function as human beings. But I think what we can do from here on uh, to help the future generations to come is the policies and practices and all these rules and guidelines and the numbers that have been gathered with the virus, I think this should be properly documented and passed on to the future generations as well, just to let them know what exactly happened. And to teach this in schools as well, like to teach uh, about pandemics and the coronavirus properly, just to make sure the children, when they go into teenage years, are aware of what happened and how do we prevent this. And I think that's that's a very simple but effective way of taking care of the future. Yeah, definitely. Um, what I, I'm really worried about how like politicized it all became. Mm, um, yeah. You know, like, uh, like, yeah. So like climate change is another example of like an existential risk uh, or at least like very global bad thing that like, yeah, became like really politicized. Mm. And yeah, like, you know, if you would ask me like 2019, I would have been like, yeah, it'd be really, you know, shitty if like, uh, yeah, like if like bio risk or something was like politicized and like, you know, like with that, like, that gain of function thing I mentioned. Um, mm. Yeah, I watched this video of, yeah, this like uh, Republican politician, I think like Rand Paul um, was yeah, like talking to Fauci about like gain of function stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, you know, like what we, we don't want like the most viral politicians to like be talking about this because then, yeah, like, you know, we don't want like 
you know, worrying about gain of function research to be like a politically coded thing that yeah. is like one side of politics. We don't want, um, yeah, again, like, you know, we don't want like it like be like climate change where like your views on like what the tax rate should be correlates highly with your views on whether a scientific fact is true, you know. Mm. Um, uh, with nuclear, it's kind of hard to avoid because it's so like dependent on like states and um, like war and stuff. Um, but yeah, so like, like one, one worry I'd have with like, uh, you know, this kind of thing being like taught in schools and stuff yeah. is like, it, like, yeah, it's like this, this kind of leads back to like the institutional decision making thing. But like, when an issue is like top of like the public mind, mm. that's like we're not good at like coming to like reasonable decisions about it, right? Like, I think this is like worse in America than Australia. Mm. Like, Australia is like pretty reasonable. Um, relative to the US, but like, yeah. uh, you know, as soon as an issue becomes like the kind of thing that's like talked about on like, uh, like mainstream primetime news, I feel like people's like, yeah, brains go out the window. Right. Mm. You know? Um, yeah. so, but then on the other hand, you have a, like, you don't want just like, you know, this to be like controlled by like a policy elite, of, exactly. you know? Yeah. yeah. So, so like, yeah, it's, like it's definitely confidential information. It shouldn't be that. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah. So there's like, problems on both sides but mm. um yeah like you know again like uh so as jenna probably mentioned uh in ea we look at like scale and neglectedness and like tractability yeah so this like definitely scores a low on tractability because i have no idea how you do this but yeah like mm. you know some eas are yeah looking into things about like trying to improve just like general public like rationality and like reasonableness mm. and that kind of thing the forecasting thing is probably a sub branch of that and yeah, yeah like i don't know like that doesn't seem tractable but like if it was that would be like really good like it'd be really good if yeah i'll just like general public decision making yeah. uh, and again like with covid right like it, yeah it seems like if we had all just been like asked these hypothetical questions like in 2019 mm. of like okay if there's a pand pandemic what do you do and we all like reasonably discussed it but then as soon as like it became like politically coded like as soon as like like as, yeah so in so it, i've follow us politics way too much <laughs> such, such a tangent but like, I, I can tell <laughs> um yeah yeah, yeah. but um it, it's it's my uh guilty habit but um yeah so like in the us uh -huh. covid the political valence of covid almost was going to be the opposite where uh right-wing people were going to be more uh worried about covid and left-wing so so in like the very first months um right-wing people were more likely oh no like uh, you know, because like they're more like nationalistic, so they're more like anti-China. Yeah. Um, whereas left-wing people, again, were like, you know, there were a few things about like, oh, you know, like don't be afraid of COVID, hug an Asian person, kind mm. of like, you know, like worried about like it from like a racism angle. Um, and then just like because Trump was just like didn't want to do stuff, you know, like I, I like because of mm. Trump, uh, like the valence like flipped. But I could like have totally seen a scenario where like Trump like reacted like really really strongly to covid mm, yeah. locked down the borders yeah it's crazy that like again sorry total u.s politics tangent but like that's okay um you know you like you get elected being like anti-immigration and wanting to like close borders yeah. and literally build a wall then the most justifiable reason to close your borders happens which is a global pandemic yeah and you don't close your borders <laughs> like like oh my yeah. god anyway um but yeah yeah so so uh yeah, where's I going with this? Um, yeah, so 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 like things being politicized and being like the kind of thing debated like yeah. by like top level stuff doesn't seem like 
a good way of like arriving to like sensible conclusions. Yeah. So apart from global Sorry pan- for that tangent. Uh, no, that's okay. That was that was awesome. And I and I thrive on tangents. I love this. Yeah. Um, so apart from my the- views do not represent effective altruism. My political views do not represent <laughs> effective altruism as a whole. We are really left wing, but like yeah. Anyway. Um, uh, so apart from the global pandemic, um, in terms of um, long termism, right? Um, what else? What else is something critical that uh, isn't being focused on right now? Yeah, gotcha. So, um, yeah. So, in regards to long termism, so there's a few ways you could break it down. So, one way would be yeah. So, one big class would be just like existential risks. So, things that could uh, pose a uh, threat to uh, either like kill all humans or like severely curtail our future potential. So, the so climate change um, and especially like kind of like severe uh climate change um you know if you think about like so like with the, like a nuclear war the chance of that happening like any like one year is like very low right and yeah. we know that because like there hasn't been one for like 70 years um so with climate change which is going to be like really bad all of like all the projections are like always like of like the median so like the median prediction is going to be really bad mm. but there's like tail risks right so like um i'm like i think the the median projection of climate change is going to be really bad but there's non-accidental risk you know it's not mm. going to um kill all humans but like the worst like 1% of mm. outcomes for climate change is like really bad right and in the same way that like with like a global pandemic is like we should be preparing now for a yeah. once in a century pandemic we should be preparing not just for like climate change mm the average you know uh thing but like the extreme like tail risk yeah. so that's one um nuclear war is another global pandemics um artificial intelligence mm-hmm. is one that a lot of effective altruists uh um uh like concerned about or like oh that's interesting into. yeah yeah what's so, concerning about that yeah yeah so the idea is um that uh so as artificial intelligence um uh you know gets uh, more advanced um yeah. closer to like uh general human intelligence mm. um that uh if uh which like you know like uh kind of independent of like when you think that's happening like even if it's like mm. 80 100 years away uh is you know again still like long term we're like thinking about the future um so yeah so if uh artificial intelligence gets really advanced and it is like designed in such a way that the uh like interests of humans are like not uh properly kind of like embedded mm-hmm. in it or like um it's not uh uh yeah so so like yeah mm. um so like uh one example would be so like with current ai right um there are all we're already seeing like failures of what's called like alignment so like aligning mm-hmm. with human interests so there was like a um uh this google had a facial recognition mm-hmm. maybe it was facebook had a facial recognition thing and it um misclassified uh black people uh-huh. as like gorillas shit yeah yeah it was oh yeah. wow that's a blunder yeah that was a blunder oh um, and 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 that was like that was like deployed right that was like you know yeah um and so the reason for that is like so the way these systems work is they show they have tons of like labeled examples yeah. where they'll have like a tons of pictures of gorillas that a human yeah. has said like yep a gorilla and written it down and then they show the computer the picture and then they show the label and they train it to associate those pictures with that yeah. label um and when it like gets it right like when it predicts like when it's shown a new picture and it's predicted correctly mm. it like you know scores a point or whatever and mm. like is shifted in that direction um but like all 
classification or misclassifications are like equal, right? So mm. like, uh, you know, if I say it's a tree and it's like a pineapple, that like that kind of mistake was weighted equally as mm. calling like a black person a gorilla. Mm. And that's clearly not what the actual values of the people we made. Like, so like on the one hand, you can say that like that happened, like that, uh, that mistake was like caused by like you know probably not many black people being on the team and yeah. stuff and then like not and like so internalized like um systemic racism but like i think if, if you had asked the engineers if you had looked into the future told them that was going to happen mm. they wouldn't have released it right it's not no. they were like cackling geniuses right yeah um so 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 but they misspecified like the reward function or like the, what yeah. they wanted out of the AI so they said they were like oh yeah so like all misprediction errors are like equally mm. bad but like clearly some like yeah like if, if you know they released a AI that had trees as pineapples mm. it wouldn't be a story right but if it was like you know like some pairs of misclassifications are like a million times worse than others mm. uh, but that's something they like didn't think about it was deployed and it was only after right mm. um, so those kind of things so so if you imagine that problem mm. but as ais like get progressively more powerful and get like um uh scaled up and the like amount of responsibilities they have the amount of like uh just yeah general like resources that are deployed based on ai system recommendations increases um yeah that like you know seems kind of bad um yeah. uh you, if you take the like extreme case of like a kind of agental AI, so that like is making decisions in the real world, mm. and yet yeah, becomes like increasingly intelligent, but it has like a goal that like we thought was good, so like we were like, hey, you know, maximize the profit of this business or something. Mm. But then you know, as it gets more intelligent, it realizes that a way of doing that is you know like uh, making advertising campaigns that like brainwash everyone into like yeah. you know that kind of thing. Um, which again sounds very sci-fi, I know, but like, like you know, there's another real-world uh, system is like a YouTube recommendation mm -hmm. um, algorithm. I think they fix this somewhat now, but for a while, it worked on this thing where it was maximizing uh, like viewer retention, mm -hmm. so like how long you stayed on YouTube, and so when it recommended a new video, it would recommend a video like yeah, based and, and like videos that then if someone watched them, they would then mm. continue watching more videos or like, uh, like upweighted in the algorithm. And so this led to this thing where all forms of like extremist, uh, like just extreme versions of content were yeah. like, um, uh, were pushed. So if you like started on like a center right or center left uh, video, you would eventually be shown like uh, like far right or like far left or like mm. extreme content or on like the political spectrum. Yeah, on the political yeah. spectrum, and um, yeah, and even like non-political things. So like like uh, if you started on vegetarian mm. YouTuber channels, you'd be shown vegan and then like raw mm. vegan and then like crazy vegans. If you started on like uh, like jogging running channels, mm. eventually you'd be shown um, like marathons mm. and then like. Uh, ultra marathons and like you yeah. know so so like because the more extreme versions of a content like those people like watch it more like like yeah. ultra marathon runners probably watch more ultra marathon youtube videos than mm. just like casual runners mm. um uh and again same with like a conspiracy theory if you imagine like someone um you know they're like oh this is a cool science video but then they f find out that like the moon landing was fake and they're like oh yeah. shit i have to stay up all night learning about this stuff and yeah mm. um so yeah so again that was like a problem with the algorithm that was like but uh, yeah. uh, just to cut you off there yeah how's that a concern though because i think that sounds like companies doing their jobs because someone's trying to sell you a product and they're trying to uh, get you to stay on the platform for quite a while so how is um how do you think that's that's sort of concerning 
on a long-term view yeah well uh, like if you think about climate change that's also like companies doing their job right is that they're like um uh they're selling a product and doing that uh releases carbon like you know the production of that uh causes carbon emissions and then that has some like negative uh, externality to like third-party people who aren't uh consenting to the transaction um and yeah so like uh yeah and with this example it's like there's like competitive pressures of you know different um social media sites competing with mm-hmm. each other and for like uh you know these like uh maximizing these metrics which are like correlated with like shareholder value or preferences and um yeah just like regulation of uh capitalism in general like yeah i'm you know uh Mm. i guess yeah like if you were taking an extreme libertarian point of view then like yeah maybe you'd have that concern but i think like yeah this is like just clearly in the class of like uh uh you know for the like public interest having like regulations against Mm. um uh certain uh of course it's like really hard right because like you know with uh something like uh you know outlawing child labor it's like you know pretty simple to enforce if a child's this age they can't do this Mm. uh but like because uh ai is such like a fast-moving industry Mm. uh politicians are like really old boomers Mm. and like you know all are like trained as like lawyers not like Mm. you know computer scientists it's like so it's a much like harder industry to uh regulate um And also to know what regulations are like counterproductive or yeah. uh, productive, um, uh, but yeah, but but like in principle, I yeah, I definitely think that like that could be. Do, uh, do you mean um, why would this be a concern in the sense of like this doesn't seem like a world-ending correct? Thing? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Cool. So yeah, so I think um, so. Part of it depends on how advanced you think AI can get, right? Mm. So if you um just think that things will like kind of keep going how they are where like you know uh like facial recognition gets a bit better every Mm. year um you know uh self-driving cars come along and then you know maybe we have like irobot style like you know personal robot Mm. uh atlas um uh boston dynamic kind of robots walking around spot spot yeah Yeah. (laughs) um such a creepy video that one yeah yeah uh (laughs) Have you seen the music video one where they're like they're like imitating this like no. queen music? Yeah, it's, really. It's, yeah, it's a bit creepy. It. It's like I, they're, I, they're marketing people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not taking the no. creepiness fact into account. But anyway, but um, then yeah, then uh, then yeah, then I think mm. uh, it makes sense to is to not view it as like an exoneration. Maybe something more like a kind of global form of climate mm. change that will like you know we can do some stuff now and it will like slowly get worse over time and you know maybe yeah. like you know over the next hundred years the like negative value will be like quite big mm. um yeah so i think on the other hand if so if you think that the like furthest AI, that like the most advanced ai can get is like really advanced right yeah. so like smarter than humans smarter than like a thousand humans working for a thousand years kind of mm. thing um uh you know like so like so with some tasks we already have superhuman ai right mm. so like chess playing ais can beat us at um you know obviously like just pure mathematics like you know a calculator yeah. yep um but so if if the class of problems that ais can do uh starts to include like uh scientific advancement right mm. like you know like medical again like you know imagine if like the leap um uh if instead of like chess it mm. was like uh you know yeah like designing technology or like scientific advancement mm. um then yeah like going from 
you know, every human is better than every AI at scientific advancement to like, yeah. uh, like something you can run on your laptop is like better than the best scientist in the entire world, right? That like seems like it would have pretty big effects um, mm. uh, in terms of like, you know, speeding up technological progress. Um, uh, uh, yeah, and I think there's, also, there's like quite a few ways that there could be like discontinuities. Yeah. So, um, uh, one way a lot of people have been previously worried about is like recursive self-improvement where mm. an AI uh, like after it after the task it, the like set of tasks it gets better than humans at includes like AI research uh-huh. then it can like you know r- like design a better AI and then that AI can yeah. design a better recursively improves but like other ones would be like um, increasing uh like compute so like um the way current ai systems work the training process is much much uh more computationally intensive than the deployment so um uh something like AlphaGo, which uh beat the world's best players at go uh several years ago um the like after that was like trained and like built yeah. uh it, the like you know something like rough order magnitude would be like a thousand times like a thousand alpha goes could be like yeah. going out and playing um games in the same computation it took to just take one so you could imagine a scenario where like okay we get like one uh ai that's like somewhat smarter than a human or like a really smart human or something um and then we have that but then we can just copy that onto like every yeah. computer right and then like uh, and also like as soon as it becomes like more as soon as um like uh ai can do intellectual work more economically than a human then like yeah you can imagine like uh like imagine all the computing currently in the world yeah that's not being used to run ai if something if ais can suddenly you know kind of like bitcoin how like yeah as soon as um there's a like economical use for all this hardware then people will like buy it up and start using it if again like if um there was uh, you know, a task that like a lawyer is currently doing for sixty dollars an hour can suddenly be done by um, an AI for like a dollar an hour electricity. Mm. You can see like yeah, like vast like jump in uh, like in uh, uh, in like output, right? So like because yeah. uh, like we already have this hardware lying around, so yeah. going like from you know it just being on one computer to like all yeah. computers could be like in a much much shorter than from like where we are now to all computers Mm. um yeah so i think also uh yeah maybe this is closer to the climate thing i think like this could be like very like geopolitically disabling Mm. um so uh uh like so like cyber warfare is becoming Mm. like a really big thing um part of like nuclear deterrence is that like if we nuke you then you nuke us and we both die yeah but if there's like a chance that like our ais get into your nuke system first Mm. and like disable them then that like breaks the you know mutually assured destruction that seems really scary um other again yeah there's more in the like climate change kind of slow Mm. thing but like um uh like things like digital authoritarianism so like uh countries like china progressively using like better surveillance um and uh uh, yeah, like like enhanced surveillance uh, mm. systems could like seem to make like dictatorships more um, uh, stable over time. Mm, mm. Uh, and again, like at, like as the technology advances, like if um, the uh, if if say like 
superhuman AI hmm. is like a hundred years away, but the technology to uh, make a dictatorship like stable through mm-hmm. like advanced surveillance is like 20 years away. Then if we get into a point where, okay, so there's a, you know, like North Korea is now like, yeah, like a stable thing. And yeah. then it like, um, then 80 years pass. And then there's like, it can make super intelligent AI, which can mm. then be destabilizing. Um, yeah, that's a yeah. concern. Uh, I see what you mean. Yeah, I think where this could go uh, yeah. in terms of AI is very is is scary to a certain extent. But you know, ever since we st- started learning about AI, um, uh, I think that was like twenty years ago. I heard the first time like the the term AI, artificial yeah. intelligence, and um, even today, it's. I wouldn't really consider a computer and what it does or any computer that I've seen to have that AI functionality. I think artificial intelligence is what it really means, intelligence, like being creative, like start making decisions. And like you said earlier as well, if it starts producing other AI machines, like mini AI machines, I I think that's a problem. Like, I think at any point in time, if uh, human beings exist, we need to have a kill-off switch, like a turn-off switch. And... Do you think that turn-off switch with the progress that's happening right now, it's diminishing, like it's getting invisible? Yeah, well, so, yeah, so this is a fun game of like, okay, so like we build an AI, um, but surely we just like put an off switch on it, right? Um, Okay, so if it's a generally intelligent AI, so it can like reason about like not just like chess or like one domain, but like general domains, um, and it has a like goal function where it like you know thinks of possible actions it ranks them by uh how good they uh cover its goal or uh, how likely they are to like uh implement its goal um and then does the best action based on that then okay so you have an off switch um it would probably just like prevent you from pressing the off switch right Mm. uh um then you then you say like oh okay so um, will make it that it wants the off switch to be pressed, right? So, it's, yeah. or like, like that, like pressing the off switch is like part of its, um, you know, utility function. Uh, but then it like will do things that make you want to press. So, so it could like go crazy itself yeah. because it's like, oh, like if the task you give it is like the is harder than like making you press the off switch, yeah. then it can just go crazy and make you press the off switch and then do that. It, um, you know, if we make it like. Uh, you know, neutral between the off switch being pressed and not pressed. Yeah. Then um, we have to worry about it, like you know, it creating agents that can like, uh, like like that neutrality needs to be stable over it inventing like new versions of itself mm-hmm. and like other like sub agents. So like if a AI yeah is like participating in AI research and creating new AIs, those have to have the same like stability yeah. of problems. Um, there's also yeah, and it's like, you know, we're not even really sure how to, like, specify, like, a con- you know, like, we have concepts in, like, human language of, like, you know, don't, like, press this off switch. But, like, you know, like, when I communicate that to you, you know what I mean. Um, uh, because of, like, the uh, kind of, like, shared, you know, we have very similar brains, very yeah. similar experiences and stuff, like, again, relative to how different we would be to an AI. Hmm. And AI, like it might be able to like understand what we mean when we say like, mm. okay, if we press this off switch, do this. But if the goal part of it uh, was like implemented, um, like before it had that understanding or like uh, before, like, like, yeah, in a way that um, produced the same 
uh, behavior in mm. like the test environment, but then yeah, like may not necessarily generalize to the um, deployment environment. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, oh, was you had a question? Uh, it was rather yeah. kill switch, but yeah, yeah, the kill switch. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so like it kind of depends on like how sci-fi you want to go. Like, mm. there's a lot of a lot of the problems that would like one really good thing is that a lot of the problems that we'd have with like smarter than human AI, we're kind of dealing with on like small scales now, like mm -hmm. that um, uh, Google Facebook facial yeah, recognition yeah. thing. Uh, so that's like a good sign that like, you know, as long as well, we just like stay on the cutting edge of like every system that we currently have, we can make safe. And yeah. hopefully that will, uh, you know, continue as again, as long as there's not like big, like discontinuous, uh, like jumps in capability yeah um yeah yeah um you know one of the most um interesting things that i think about siri or any of these smart home products is um the music could be blaring like you could you'd be listening to music on full volume but if you slightly very the very small volume say hey siri or hey alexa they will listen and it's just crazy right mm. and i think with AI, for me at least, uh, when I think about it, the biggest risk is if we instill that creativity uh, in the in the machine. Once it's once it starts generating thoughts or generating ideas or all these algorithms that was never supposed to be there, I think that's where uh, I think um, long termism is at risk. Yeah, uh, it, it's, it's it's that's when machine starts taking over. I think. Have you heard of GPT three? No. So yeah, so it's this really cool AI. Um, it was trained to complete human text. Uh -huh. So it was just like, you give it like, you troll the internet, find like tons of text and you know, it like, it gets one letter and then it yeah. has to try to predict the next letter. And then if it's wrong, it gets told and predicts. Yeah. So you can like write like a news headline and like, you know, like today scientists mm. discover that unicorns exist and it will like complete the article with like human. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's pretty good. Like, um, uh, yeah. Like, is I, it available for all of us? Uh, so I think, um, the API you, uh, you need like an invitation. I think so. It's like, yeah. um, uh, like, you, yeah, you need to like apply for it and stuff. But I think like, like, you know, many hundreds of, uh, kind of AI researchers have like applied and you can, um, I think there's this like text advent, you know, like old timey text adventures where uh -huh. it's like, you know, like you go to the castle and, uh, then, yeah. and you, but you can only print like, you know, do you go left or right? And yeah. you say, yeah. So they've, they have versions of that, but it's like being done by, so instead of just saying left and right, you can yeah. be like, I stabbed the wizard with my sword and then it will be like, the wizard uses a spell to destroy your sword. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah. So it's like general ends up. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and so yeah, that's probably like the the like most advanced AI we have at the moment. Um, mm. GPT three, sorry, GPT three. Yeah, right. um, I'll have a look. Uh, one scary thing is that uh, GPT three it's a like more scaled up version of yeah. GPT two, which is a more scaled up version of GTP one. Yeah, and with each like, and by scaling I mean like the amount of um, uh, computation used to train it uh and like run it like increases yeah. in like the size of the model um and yeah like the out the the competency or like ability like goes up at, yeah. like like sc scales in like a fairly um linear or like log to the size maybe um uh like way mm. uh so yeah so uh, so again there's like a thing of like if we get an ai that's like you know, a bit less smart than a human, then maybe giving it like 
a thousand times as much computation mm. is enough to go from like less smart to like to more smart. More smart. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of creativity, I think um, like depending on what you mean, like we already yeah. have that, right? So mm. like, um, you know, it's silly now, but like one of the reasons why chess, like AI chess was uh -huh. like a big thing is people thought that like, oh, if an AI can play chess, that mu it must be human in like mm. general because like chess like requires like creativity and stuff. But like, uh, yeah, we like, you know, there are moves that a chess AI make that like someone would say like, oh, that's a creative move. And especially like AlphaGo made a bunch of moves that people were like, wow, that's like a human-like move and creative and stuff. Um, and yeah, and those are like, you know, much less general than, uh, yeah. you know, full human level AIs and stuff. Yeah. Um, so what I mean by creativity is, um, let's say, for example, you create music, right? Yeah. Like we listen to a certain song today because that's written by somebody with their experiences. Like they, they go through a certain level of romance and possibly break up and have bad experiences with the family and they write a song and we enjoy it and we learn about the, the background of the writer. Um, and that's why we have these experiences, right? But I don't think... Um, that uh, the AI would have that capability. Like you write, you can write any song you want. Like, would we really enjoy in the same way would we enjoy someone uh, who's written music, like from a human being? And I think if there is a day where we start enjoying those musics, um, sorry, music from um, the AI, the or a story from the AI, I think that's uh, what I mean by. Um, creativity in ai that's a doomsday for the future yeah gotcha um so i agree that humans would want so so like are you saying right that um if there was an ai that could like produce like oh, yeah. taylor swift songs that like are like indistinguishable like you know it like you know mimics the writing the Correct, music yes. the vocals and so like and completely new lyrics yeah, yeah well. and completely yeah. new lyrics and so like you know taylor swift fans like can't tell the difference between a new uh, taylor song they haven't heard before and one of these songs they would still prefer the like human taylor versions uh, not exactly no, no. Okay. so what, what i mean is um like the AI produces music, but doesn't really mirror any other artist. Like it's its own version. Like yeah. the AI is a music music producer. Let's say, for gotcha. example, uh, a, a computer called A, B, and C, which is a massive version of AI, produces music. Yeah. And if in the future, at one point in time, as human beings, we start enjoying that music and we lean towards music of the AI rather than humans, because hey, that sounds better now. Yeah. Because the AI has some some level of creativity that it can read human emotions and replicate those and write that music and you know if we get to a stage at that point in time I think that's um, that's doomsday for me. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I think so. I think the thing I would disagree about is before we get to that point, mm -hmm. there's going to like economic activity that humans currently do are like going to already be like automated and mm. stuff right so like i think maybe before that point ais could like yeah like be better at like mathematical research or like at um you know being a lawyer and stuff and like you know maybe in the future like you get an ai lawyer and i get an ai mm. lawyer and they like debate and then like the yeah. lawsuit is all done um <laughs> like through ais and stuff which like if uh, i think maybe that's another uh, kind of reason why a lot of EAs are into AI as a cause error is that like if we get AI right, uh -huh. right, if we like, you know, align it properly, it doesn't do 
uh, bad things, that's like super good, right? Like that can like solve like a lot of, you know, exactly. like speeding yeah. up medical research, speeding up technological research, inventing fusion, you know, curing cancers and stuff. That would be like super good, right? Um, and also can be like useful for like other existential risks, right? Like, so it could be the case that like, um, you know, uh, we're, we're worried about like global pandemics for ages, but mm. then AI comes along and then uh, invents a technology that like, yeah, like, you know, yeah. uh, uh, totally solves that problem. Um, so yeah, I think it like AI will be like, the century will be like a very big deal either positively or negatively yeah and yeah we like want to push it more in the positive direction yeah i, th I think it's how technology companies today if they don't take a position like like we discussed earlier if they lean more towards the right or more towards the left or if they're taking a certain stance uh, i think that's bad um, but if it's a if it's a generic point of view and if the intention of the ai is to do good or to fix the problems of today, focusing on what's to come tomorrow as well. I think I think we're headed for a good future. Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely. Like, yeah, we don't want like a political AI, right? Like, no. I think I was talking earlier about how like as soon as things become politicized, yeah, we don't want like, no. um, you know, one AI that's like wants to, yeah, like, yeah, it's I, taking I, sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. like, yeah. Um, yeah. But Nick, it was, that was fun. I yeah, had, thank you. We had some incredible conversations, uh, some mind-boggling ones. Yep, yeah. um, I'm glad. I'm glad um, that like we we strayed into. There was like some areas where I was like, oh yeah, I feel confident, you know, <laughs> saying this and like with my views and like if I watch this back, I'd be like. And others where I was like, oh shit, I'm I'm on a tangent where like ah yeah, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I this think, was really fun. Yeah, that was fun. And I think that's the beauty of um, conversations about society and culture. Like, there's a lot of things to talk about. And I think going on tangents is just, it's a part of it. And I yeah, think, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, but I had a lot of fun. And thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. Um, like I mentioned to you, I uh, also have a dream of starting my own podcast, yeah. uh, talking about kind of that institutional decision making stuff. Um, so yeah, I'll like get some tips and also i just i listen to podcasts like constantly so i feel yeah. like when i listen to this one i'll be like oh my god i'm like <laughs> i'm on the other side is it the first one you've done ever or uh, yeah yeah you, you don't seem like a person oh either. really like, you're very natural oh, your thank word you. selections and the way you answer the questions um and because see because uh, uh, i listen to so many <laughs> It shows, yeah, and it really helps. I think that's a good practice as well because a good interviewee makes the life of uh, the interviewer better, as in, uh, or easier, because your answers have a lot of depth and you can go anywhere with that. Uh, and um, along with that, they have a lot of importance as well, things that need to be talked about. And um, I'm glad we talked about animal welfare and long-termism. Long-termism, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, animal welfare and long-termism because, you know, it's something that I've been uh, sort of looking forward to as well. Like, um, how do I make an impact in the world? And I think meeting people like you and Jenna and learning about effective altruism, just it, it's helped. Yeah, totally. Um, And yeah, and I think... um. Uh yeah, maybe as like a my plug of EA, uh, would yeah be like, um, so even ignoring like all the like you know futuristic sci-fi long termism yeah. stuff we talked about, even like yeah just like donating to like a like robust like global health charity now, um, you know like GiveWell is estimated that AMF, mm. which is against the Malaria Foundation, yeah. is like um, you know like three thousand dollars to save a life and stuff, and you know so like yeah like donating like a a small portion of your income for like us wealthy mm. uh relatively um affluent people is yeah like a super cool amazing thing and if you like 
saw someone on a burning building and you like save their life that would be like a story you would tell yeah. forever and like you can literally do that you know now and i think that's yeah very with like, a click of in, a button with a click of a button exactly and yeah, yeah i think that's like very expiring and inspiring and like we were saying like very like meaningful and stuff yeah any last words before we head out yeah okay so i was like ooh, um so <laughs> Because we're on a podcast, I'll mention my favorite podcast. So 80,000 Hours, uh, really good. Um, uh, Rationally Speaking by Julia Galef is really good. These are all going to be like interview shows where like one person interviews a bunch of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Ezra Klein Show is really good. Uh, Econ Talk and um, uh, Tyler Cohen's podcast which i forget the name of but that's really good yeah so they're just a bunch of like one person interviews another and they talk about a range of like political philosophical things and yeah perfect they're really good and your your podcast in the future as well have you thought of a name for it yeah so so it'll be about this like academic field called um like social choice or like Uh computational social choice and one like acronym people use is like comsoc Uh like c-o-m-s-o-c is like all caps so like might be like comsoc pod or something like that something like that yeah. I'll, I'll let you know absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll put that in the description or uh, even better we'll do it again in the future yeah yeah that'd be yeah. really cool yeah Perfect. thanks Nick thanks for thanks for coming in and thank you for listening ladies and gentlemen that was um, episode number 27 with Nick Anios cheers <laughs> <laughs>